which I it's so frustrating when they get like the the extra penalty on top of it when you go and you're like as the instigator penalty mm. and you're missing you got 10 minute misconduct it's like i don't know like it, that was such a monstrous hit what do you expect like that's the type of stuff that does get a response especially on your captain yeah. but it did cost them a lot of time there in that first period which you know not it, ideal not ideal at least they had seven defensemen yeah they so. did they did which we'll talk about at length i'd imagine today uh of note from that like I, i'm just gonna flag this i'm gonna put a little star next to it i'm gonna okay. give willie nylander a tap on the back because before mm-hmm. jake mccabe hopped in there and had that fight like willie wasn't looking to drop the gloves by any means but he for sure stepped in there there's a conversation yeah you know yeah a conversation with him at okay the bill least. from calgary i see you yeah yeah i guess you can give it's him a promising little, we you know well, well some stick taps for that uh we just got a notification as we were walking over here ab we know what happened with ryan o'reilly towards the end of that last game he took a shot to the hand he did not yeah. return austin matthews also took a shot to the leg at one point but he did return to the game so we all like to let out a collective kind of sigh of relief at that but uh in terms of moves that the leaves have made in order to i guess make up for the fact that ryan o'reilly is going to be out for for a little while we might get an update today the leaves practice at twelve thirty, so Maybe we'll hear from Sheldon Keefe before the end of the show, but they've recalled Pontius Holmberg and Alex Steves and have sent down Joseph Wall to the minors. And mm. that's got you catch, caught up on Leafland this morning until their practice this afternoon. And with that, let's bring in our TSN hockey analyst, Mike Johnson, who hopefully got some sleep over the weekend, MJ, after the wild deadline that was. Uh, I got to sleep on Friday from yep. like 8 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon because nothing was going on. Hey, well. like the whole day. It was a very quiet day, but... Um, yeah, it was all the work done beforehand, and uh, Friday was, I, I don't know, underwhelming but predictable. Uh, the least elected to largely, you know, and they do nothing and, and go with the group they have. And, of course, wouldn't you know it, they go with the group, they don't make any more changes, and then they start running into injuries the second the deadline passes, perhaps. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, another... I don't, I don't even know how to read the game against Vancouver where the Leafs were, were, were quite good at times. Um, you know, obviously the shorthanded goals against are, are, are no good, but um, another weird one where that their record against bad teams is just, it's tough to explain. I guess the, the silver line is they're, they won't play those bad teams once they finally yeah. get through the playoffs. Uh, but beyond that, uh, strange that, you know, Vancouver is, you know, way out of it and they, and they got the good win. Johnny, let's start with uh, with Ryan O'Reilly. We we're just talking about it, and, and it looks like there was a couple of roster moves that went down today to suggest that O'Reilly probably going to miss some time. We'll get an update exactly how long that will be shortly, I'm sure. But how concerning is this for you? Two reasons. One, new guy, still trying to incorporate him into the lineup and keep trying Ooh. to figure out how he wants to set his lineup you know, as, as best as possible. And then two... We've been down this road before. Nick Felino was given up for a first-round pick. The bit of an older, factor. Yeah, a bit of an older cat. And, you know, there was an injury situation there. And now we look back on that, not as fondly of a deal. It's got a little Felino stench to it, too. So I would say less worried about the Felino thing because, you know, broken fingers and not broken backs or whatever, right. you know, whatever's going on with Nick Foligno. Um but I am more concerned, not so much for Ryan O'Reilly getting used to, you know, playing with whoever he's going to play with. He's smart. He's been around. He'll figure that out quickly. But more importantly, I, and I, because I'm not sure if Sheldon Keith really knows how he wants to set his roster. Yeah. And, you know, he needed all the time that he could get these last six weeks to, to work through that, you know, with everyone available. Is he going to go 
the top six? Is he going to go the big three down the middle and play Ryan O'Reilly in the third line and kind of go like three duos, which he saw a little bit of? And I think he wanted to experiment and see which way to go. You'd love it if he could find a way to play Matthews, Tavares, and O'Reilly on different lines and have them all be working in different in the way that they would because that kind of depth down the middle, that kind of uh, experience would be tough to match up against uh, if you're Tampa. But he wants to see it. He wants to tinker and experiment and see who works with what and how it goes. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if they're, like, sanctioned or whatever, but there's pictures on Twitter about O'Reilly walking out with yeah. splints on his finger uh, after the game in Vancouver. So that could be he's got a sore finger. That could be he broke his finger. Um, either way, it's probably going to be a little bit. If he broke his finger, hopefully he doesn't need to have surgery, and that's you know, two to four weeks or whatever it is to come back, which is not optimal timing. Yeah, from a player perspective, MJ, how long, and I know it's situational based on the team and how many guys you know on the team probably and the systems and such, but how long typically does it take for a guy who, who's dealt around the deadline or at any time during the season to kind of adjust to the, to the new situation? Well, the new situation has a lot of different components. Um, I would imagine, like, on the ice, like a couple weeks. You know what I mean? Like, systems are not, like, I, these guys, like, I always find it funny, Julie, when people say, well, you know, new system, you got to get used to it. I'm like, it's hockey. Like, there's not that many <laughs> right. wrinkles to it. Like, you might not be perfectly dialed in, but it's, there's only so many ways you can play. So if it takes you more than two weeks to figure out your system, then you don't know how to play system hockey, right? Like, you just, you're a freelance guy who won't, no matter, you won't know the system no matter how long it is. So on the ice, probably a couple weeks to figure out kind of system and playing probably a couple weeks to, you know, get chemistry sort of stuff down um, to the point where it's acceptable. The harder part often is really, you know, off the ice, you know, if they have a family, where do you live? Do your kids come and stay with you? Do they, you know, like these are things that Ryan O'Reilly is dealing with, like do they stay back or wherever they're, you know, wherever they were before that kind of stuff could take a, you know, a long time to kind of flush out because many times the, the families don't come because it is so late in the season, the playoffs are around the corner. And that part becomes kind of challenging because, um, you know, guys are used to having their support staff, their spouse, their kids, whatever it is, around them. And if they go to a new city and don't have their family with them, that is not easy to get used to, even if you know it's, you know, for a short time only. Johnny, I'm curious, how often did you have to play an 11 Ford 7D lineup? Oh, I don't know. I probably played it 50 times in my career. Like I loved it. I loved it because I was always one of the forwards in my career that was, you know, in the top nine. So it was just more ice time. It was mm. fantastic for me. Uh, the defensemen hated it. Like, <laughs> they, when there's six of them, there's not enough ice time. Put a seventh one in there and then it's, you know, unless it's a random, you know, if you're going to play Eric Gustafson strictly as a power play guy. But they don't want to do that. They want to mix them in and see what he does. So it's not a problem for forwards. Everyone can absorb like, what does a 12 forward play, A.B.? Does he play eight minutes? Yeah, nine-ish minutes, eight, eight depending. Eight ten minutes, right? So everyone could absorb ten minutes over the, over the 11 other guys. Everyone picks up a minute or two. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I know some coaches don't like it. Depend on your roster, though, because Toronto should be okay with it because they have so many good players the same way John Cooper likes doing it with Tampa because you just, you know, you just throw Austin Matthews out with uh, – or William Nylander out with the fourth line and just kind of let them do their thing – uh, on a one-off to get them a bit more ice time. So I never minded it because I was always the guy that got to play more. 
if you're the, on the fourth line, though, it's kind of lonely because you know it could be a long <laughs> night as well. Yeah, like I, I in, in one hand, I look at it and I'm like, if the Leafs do go three center deep, like it would make sense because then you could roll those lines and then you always got one of Matthews, Tavares, or or O'Reilly out on yeah. the ice. Like typically, you'll have one of those guys, Ooh. and then every so often, obviously, the fourth line comes into the folds and one of those players could play some some extra minutes. But I, I am curious though, like when you're shifting things around like that, how difficult it might be to really just like game chemistry when things are being tinkered with shift to shift. Well, I mean, if you're, it's different right after a deadline, but if you're the same group of 12 guys that have been around the year most of the time, um, you've largely played with each other anyways. You should know the same system. I don't know. Like it's, you know, it's fine. Like, is it, is it as perfect as, you know, Marner and Matthews and Bunting are, you know, their chemistry has been created? Probably not, but it's still more than good enough to be effective and successful. Um, yeah, I, I think it's much, much more difficult to try to integrate seven defensemen. The 11 forward part, not so bad. Yeah, fair enough. With our TSN hockey analyst, Mike Johnson, right now, and the other Mike from Scarborough, MJ, was demoted to the third line on Saturday night, Michael Bunting. And Keith was pretty straight up about his assessment of his game. He said, well, Alex Kerfoot has just been better lately. And I feel like Michael Bunting went through a hot streak really recently when he seemed to be putting up points all the time. Do you have any assessment of, of his game lately and where he might be at after Saturday? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know... Michael Bunting, it's just, it's, I am sympathetic to how hard he has to play. Like, it's hard to be him every night. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a certain physical engagement, a certain emotional engagement to do what he does every single night. Now, he's the beneficiary of playing that way by playing with good players and picking up a whole bunch of points and goals because he, because he's effective at it. But if he ever goes through a stretch where either he's fatigued, maybe a little injured, maybe emotionally flat, whatever, which we all do at points, his game probably drops off more than if Alex Kerfoot goes through a stretch where he's emotionally flat because they play different styles or where my game would have fallen off. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, Michael Bunting works best in the top six. They don't have enough good wingers that he's not going to play with one of those good lines for the long term. I do think it's probably good news that Kerfoot has played better as of late because he's, he's been kind of quiet this year as well. They've been waiting for him to get his game in order. So, um, you know, ideally both could happen at the same time. And Michael Bunting is also a guy who responds to a demotion, if we're going to call it that. And, you know, playing with Ryan O'Reilly is probably not really a demotion. But right. um, with that kind of like, I'll show you attitude. You know what I mean? Some guys might pout and feel sore of themselves. He kind of is a guy that will push back and say, forget you. I'll show you by playing even harder. So, you know, Sheldon Keith knows him very well. Uh, knows how to motivate him, uh, and he's he's just got to you know get back to being moving his feet, being involved physically, being involved emotionally. In conversation with Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst, Morgan Riley has been a topic of conversation for quite some time here. He was on the ice for three more goals again Saturday night, obviously, a couple of those being shorthanded goals. But over his last 14 games, on the ice for 18 goals, 10 goals in his last seven. How do you get this guy settled? Because that he's someone who Sheldon Keefe is going to play 23-ish minutes a night come playoff time. I mean, how important is it to get him going? And, and you know, how do you do that, MJ? Uh, so I think it's very important uh, because you just mentioned he leads them a nice time. Right? Like he, he plays a very important role um, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, he, and he's got to be good. And I think the first part about it is try to figure out 
what you're, again, goes back to the same sort of conversation we had about the forwards, try to figure out who's playing with who. You have a whole bunch of options now, right? Like all kinds of options on the back end. Who is going to play with Morgan Riley? What is that going to look? Is it going to be Justin Hall? Johnny, no, no, please no, please no. I'm done with that. I can't do that pairing, Johnny. You know who I like? I want to see Jake McCabe get a shot. And and I've liked McCabe and Brody as a shutdown pair. But like Uh Jake McCabe, and I know that last week Sheldon said, no, we we see him as a left shot D-man. But Jake McCabe kind of, we were speaking with somebody out of Chicago a week ago, and they said since the since Christmas or so, Jake McCabe did a good job of settling Seth Jones's game and allowed him to kind of be a really effective piece uh, in, in Chicago. And, and I think settling was a, a good term to use, because if he can go and try and help settle Morgan Riley, that might be best, because I, I know what Brody and Hall can do. I feel like I can trust that pairing. But Morgan Riley, to me, is the guy. you got to figure out... Who can settle Mo? And I feel like want to be the Brody, or maybe let's see what Jake McCabe can do there. Maybe. I mean, you just said two left-handed shooters, although Brody is largely a right-shot guy. So I was just listing right righties. The guys who play on the right side, unless you move someone over, are Brody, Hall, Lilgren, Shen. Right? Those are four righties. So unless you're going to move McCabe, which is entirely well, he can play. He's played the right side, too. Right? Yeah, no, yeah, he has absolutely. I'm just, you know, I think they acquired him largely to play on the left, but yeah. you know, they they can be versatile. Like when I first saw this, I, I was thinking they would just put Brody with Riley and just let them. Like if Brody has been the defenseman whisperer, you know, he was the settler, as you call them, like which is an important term, an important role to play. I, I, my deep pairs were Brody with Riley, Lilgren with uh, with McCabe, and then Geo with somebody else whether it's Shen or Hall or Gustafson or whoever plays that right side of the third pair. That's how I would put him down because for the same kind of reason, I, I, Morgan Riley is so important. I think you need someone to help him be at his best self. And then I think McCabe and Lilgren would be a good defensive pairing. And I don't know, A.B., where, like, if it's the new guys getting the we traded for you bump. Like, I think Timothy Lilgren, if he's healthy, and I don't know that he is, maybe he's a little nicked up. Like, I think he deserves to play. And so I'm almost surprised that he's, you know, the guy kind of out of the lineup right now because I think he should be in the lineup um, playing. So we'll see how that one shakes out. But Or Justin Hall. And that's, you know, like, these are the options they have. Maybe they'll try McCabe. Um, but then again, if you have McCabe there, does that become, what, Geo is your second left-side defenseman? No, oh, I think you could move Brody back to his, his natural left side and go with. Oh, you got to play Brody on the left then again. Yeah, I mean you could okay. you could you could do it if you wanted to. Like you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Right, he could play both the sides. AD. That's the beauty of the, the flexibility of having guys who can play both sides. Is you you got a little bit more that you can work with, right? Like for me, I'm thinking if I were to look at it, McCabe and uh, like Riley on the left, McCabe. You can see just see what it looks like on the right. You could slide Brody back over to the left. I know that Brody and Hall works. Bro, Justin Hall has played his best hockey the last two years when he's alongside TJ Brody. I know that that works. Mm-hmm. He he makes him look like a top four defenseman. And then again, Geo lesser lessen his minutes, make him a third pair guy. And then you could put whether it's Shen Lilligren, I guess one of those two players like that. That to me is kind of when I'm mm-hmm. sitting there and I'm making my lineups. That's a little mock lineup that I've looked at. Yeah. Again. Very all valid, good, solid reasons. You know, you're, except, except you're moving a guy who can play on the right side of McCabe, but hasn't always done it up to the first pair on the right side, and you're taking a guy who's done it quite well. 
Brody and moving back to the left to get yeah. him to Justin Hall. Like, like I want best version of Morgan Riley more than I want best version of Justin Hall. Yeah, you know agree. I mean? Yeah, no, totally so, agree. So you start there, and maybe you try McCabe, whatever, however it takes, and then you see where you end up. Okay, MJ, who do the Leafs need at their best self more for a successful postseason push? Austin Matthews or Morgan Riley? Oh, Austin. Yeah. Austin. Because I think Morgan Riley, he, like, he, his best doesn't change the game as much as Austin Matthews' best. Austin Matthews' best is the best in the world. Yeah. Like it was last year, right? So, yeah. You know, and, and it's not been that. It's it's a real mystery, and I know what you asked because Austin Matthews again, you know, he took blocking all these shots, takes another one off the inside of the knee. Those sting. Feels like you have a dead oh, leg. Oh God, yeah. You know, they just they just they're they're awful. But it's it, just another game where you know Austin Matthews didn't have the kind of volume or quality of looks that we have come to expect out of him. And and I watch him all like obviously I watch him all the time, and I'm trying to figure out. You know why? And I look at the numbers, and I see you know you know how many chances he creates, and you know so he is he's down a little bit in chance and expected goals and and all those different things, but not to the degree where his goals are down. So you know it's it's, it's hard to figure. And when I watch him, he you know he's been playing, so you assume he's relatively healthy. But his there's games where he doesn't skate as well as he did last year, like the separation in the offensive zone separation through the neutral zone to create chances it, it just hasn't been quite the same been still very good i mean he's gonna score 40 goals like that's his bad year it's amazing <laughs> but he's not the best player in the world and i think it's way way more important that austin matthews is something closer to his best self than morgan riley um when you get to the playoffs because morgan riley they have eight nine defense and morgan riley might not ever play against the other team's best players yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Like they, they might shelter him away from the Kucherov point lineup line. Yeah. Like they, he, he might not get those guys, but Austin will get all of that all the time, and he's got to be able to be productive. Yeah, the only way I find a little bit of an argument for Mo in my head is that even though Austin hasn't been scoring at this torrid pace this year, you, you said he's going to be a forty score, goal scorer again this year. Is that he's not a liability on the ice at any point defensively? Like we've sang his praises for his defensive game, whereas it's Morgan's right. that we're worried about. Yeah, so it's almost like yeah, obviously getting the best out of Matthews is best, but it's almost like also Morgan's worst is Morgan a little scarier. At his worst is definitely yeah. scarier also. So yeah, I hear you, but. Like, you don't need to play Morgan Riley yeah. 24 minutes. Like, you could play Morgan Riley 20 minutes, 18 minutes, and, and, and mitigate that downside that you guys are talking about. I understand, you know, you're worried about the floor more than you are the ceiling. Right. I'm worried about the ceiling because I can put some other, you know, I can re-pour the foundation of the floor, and I have other guys there that can do some of the stuff that we've asked Morgan Riley to do if he's not up to the task. I got no one else that, can I, that I can ask to do what I expect out of Austin Matthews. Nobody. Yeah, so, at the end of the day, you know, Matthews could take over a series. You're not going to get 2017 Eric Carlson out of Morgan. No, it's We true. know that's it's not going to happen, but no. we can get that out of Matthews, and he could take over. So I, I, I agree in that aspect. They're both really we good can, points, though. But we haven't seen it. It's no. just been so strange for him this year where he's yeah. just not I, got on that, like the, virtually every year of his career for Austin Matthews. There's been moments where it just seems like, like – he was going to score no matter what. It was like a predetermined for the game. I was like, oh yeah, he's going to score tonight. Or you watch the first ten minutes, like, oh yeah, he's going to score tonight. Like it's just, it was just obvious. And there just hasn't been stretches or just that many games individually where he's been like, 
that kind of dominant where you where you just knew it was a foregone conclusion that he would find the back of the net. And the lack of multi-goal games speaks to that, which is so strange. You know, you know, I don't know, maybe how many they have? A couple? Three. Multi-goal games? Three. Matt in, in McDavid had five in a row last week. <laughs> right. Uh, and you don't even have to pick McDavid, who's doing the best. Like, But you could pick, I don't know, whoever. Jack oh, Hughes. Tate Thompson has a whole bunch. You, 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 keep, like, you don't have to go to the very best player. Like, yeah, you, can go, you can go to William <laughs> Nylander. Like, you can go yeah. to guys who are good, very good, but like not the greatest scorer in the league, and they all have been kind of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, whatever, and they've kind of been more dangerous and bigger nights. It's, it's peculiar. I almost give more, Austin Matthews credit, like, again, not inside information, opinion only. I don't think he's healthy. Hmm. Like, I think there's something going on that is bothering him physically. Yeah. And I give him a ton of credit because it would be very easy to leak that out to me, to you, to Kyle Dubas, to the media, and say, you know, like, he's fighting through a bad knee. And like, okay, well, you know, kudos to fighting through it, and hopefully he gets better and maybe you want to manage it. But you haven't heard any of that out of him or his camp or the team. But I, like, again, opinion only, I think he's he's not moving the same. No. He's too young to be old. I think he's got to be quite <laughs> – he's, he's, something, something's bugging him. Well, hopefully that's something that can get uh, corrected between now and game one of the playoffs because we know it's a, a crash course for the Tampa Bay Lightning. That well, said, Johnny, that's yeah. that's a All team right. that's starting We're to go there. Right now. Well, how are we how are we feeling about Tampa right now? Like it's so funny. So listen, I know I know what you're gonna ask, but like, so Tampa, everyone's like, oh yeah, well they've been there. They you know they lose five in a row. They love, they're benching their star players, and the the reaction of the hockey world is like, well it's okay, you know they've been there. <laughs> It's fine. Nothing to worry about here. And if that was Toronto, Toronto loses to Vancouver, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's the Leafs <laughs> poised for another first-round exit. I'm like, what are we talking about? Like, give them credit that they deserve for winning Stanley Cups. They're an amazing team, talented players. But let's not act like losing the way they're losing right now is nothing. And let's not overreact to Toronto's every single loss like it's the end of the world. It's just hilarious how because they've won and they deserve some respect, it's like they almost get too much. Like they're like infallible when they're really struggling quite a bit right now. Yeah, they get the benefit of the doubt. Like we talk about how Masai Ujiri with the rap, he just no yeah. matter what gets the benefit of the doubt because he brought the team a championship. And it's like Tampa Bay, three straight years to the finals. And the thing is, like I look back, I remember last year there was a very similar stretch, and I remember I, I went and looked at it. Exact same time, beginning of March, Vasilevsky had like four straight games. Leafs stomped him one sub, night. Yeah, they, in one of those games, he was a sub-900 goalie, like four straight starts. And, and the, the questions started popping up. Oh, is, are, are, are they hitting a wall? And then they got their act together the final two weeks of the season and, and went and obviously turned it into another Stanley Cup run. I'll say this, mm-hmm. though, Johnny. The difference, I think, in what we saw last year and this year is what we saw occur, was it Saturday's game, I think? They bent their stars for the third period. Point, Kucherov, Stamkos. If this was a dress rehearsal, as we've often heard John Cooper refer to the regular season as a dress rehearsal to the playoffs, that's something we haven't seen before. And then for them to come back and put up four shots within the first 40 minutes of that game against Carolina and get pumped 6-0, that to me is a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. Sure. Sure. Now, I've, I've, I think I did a game once where Nikita Kucherov was benched like the, the last half of the game, sat there with his helmet undone and didn't move. And like John Cooper has done this before. Like he's not afraid to, to, to take on his top guys if they if they, they irritate him long enough. Um, but then to follow up that that benching with 
a four-shot performance. Now, Carolina can do that to teams. Like, when Carolina's good, man, they roll you over. Uh, and But you'd expect more of a response. I, I mean, you know, I, I haven't watched them, like, super, super closely, but um, you'd expect... You, you would just expect a better response, and they didn't have one, so they'll keep kind of working through it. I, I think what's changed with with Tampa is that Tampa's, you know, defense, which was largely the strength of their team. Like we talk about their four lines and Stamkos and Kucherov and Point and all those guys, but you know their defense for a long time. When you had McDonough and Hedman and Sergachev, that was your top three. Those are like your th- three left side defensemen. Like now they have Zach Bogosian on their second pair. They got Nick Perbix playing with with Hedman, and as great as Hedman is, like Nick Perbix, Perbix might not be, um, you know, quite as good with Chernak being not available right now. You got Ian Cole, you know, like these are not Hayden Flurry. These are not terrifying guys to go against. They're still crazy talented. They're very good. They have a similar record to Toronto. But like if I'm getting ready to play Tampa either next week or in the playoffs, I'm like, okay, it's going to be very very difficult. But not, but not insurmountable. Like I look at Ian Cole, Hayden Flurry, we should be able to do some things against that line. Sergeyev and Zach Bogosian, we should be able to do some things against that. Like, you know, they, I think just time, age, and the erosion of their roster is, has affected them a little bit. Where they're still very good, maybe just not quite as good. Yeah. Okay, MJ, we have to ask you before we let you go because the Leafs are trickling onto the ice for practice, and there's some curious happening. So no Ryan O'Reilly. That's not the biggest surprise in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. After those photos that leaked, but John Tavares, who took quite the beating on Dang Saturday, cool. yeah, a couple of them. He's actually wearing gray. Sam Lafferty is is uh, so gray as in like extras gray, and then Sam Lafferty is wearing top six blue today. Can I get an immediate reaction Hang from on. you? Gray meaning fifth line or the bottom six? Gray meaning extra. Scratch like gray scratch. meaning scratch, which if it means it, he's probably banged up. But wouldn't it be red? Like when? Well, I guess it might not be non-contact, but. Well, you can do whatever you want. I don't think anyone's bumping the John Tavares. Put him in yellow, red, flashing green, gray. He's not feeling good. No one's going to touch him today. Um, that was a big hit. Uh, you know, we're all probably concerned about his head and his, you know, some of that history. But um, we'll see. Well, I'm listen. I'm in Jersey now, guys. I'm doing the game tomorrow. Devils are one of the best teams in the league. I don't know if people understand how good New Jersey is. So it's not a great time to start or chipping away important pieces of your roster against a team that's playing about as well as anybody in the NHL. So we'll see what happens. But if chemistry is important, what's more important is health. So if any of the guys are kind of banged up, I would, you know, you're going to work in rest more than you're going to try to work on play through it. So you can have another game with, uh, you know, for some familiarity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. You're, you're down there. You'll be calling the game maybe, or maybe not with uh, John Tavares in action. Uh, Appreciate it as always, pal. We'll chat again next week. All right, guys. Talk next week. All right. There he goes. Mike Johnson or TSN hockey analyst. Yeah.